Welcome to Love Uncensored, the modern guide to dating and relationships. I'm your host, Nicole Colantoni, a dating and relationship coach. And each week, along with special guests who aren't afraid to speak their minds, we challenge norms and expectations in love and relationships. From childhood trauma to sex, we explore the uncomfortable and unspoken, providing valuable insight and actionable advice for building healthier relationships. Join us for candid conversations about all things love, whether you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. I think it's important to know yourself. Know yourself before you put yourself out there. Know what it is that you want in a partner. Know what brings you pleasure. Because if you know that, you will be successful in meeting someone. If you don't know that, you're gonna struggle with that. So you have to know what it is that you want. And when you know what you want, you can have anything that you want. Welcome, welcome, welcome to an exciting new episode of How to Get Creative with Your Sex with Dr. Lay, hosted by yours truly, dating and relationship coach, Nicole Colantoni. In this episode, I get to chat with Dr. Lee, an award-winning psychotherapist and sex therapist based in the US. Together, we dive deep into the exciting and often misunderstood world of sex and relationships. We cover everything from how important sex is in a relationship to what a healthy sex life actually looks like. And Dr. Lee even gives you some tips on how to spice things up in the bedroom. But that's not all. Do you struggle with performance anxiety? Are you curious about the impact of porn on our sex lives? Well, Dr. Lee and I have got you covered. We explore the reasons behind these common struggles and Dr. Lee provides practical advice on how to overcome them. And get ready for it, we even touch on why we should celebrate soft penises. If that's not enough, Dr. Lee and I also delve into the topic of infidelity. Can couples really recover from it? Is it possible to rebuild trust and intimacy? Dr. Lee also shares his insights on why so many people find dating difficult and offers some priceless tips for singles who are looking for a relationship. Whether you're single, coupled up, or just curious about sex and relationships, this episode has something for everyone. So sit back and relax because you won't want to miss this informative and uncensored conversation with the hilarious and knowledgeable Dr. Lee. Dr. Lee, welcome to Love Uncensored, the modern guide to dating and relationships. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. As am I. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. What inspired you to become a sex therapist? Well, I think that sex is just interesting. It's intriguing. There's so much to it. It's complicated. There's a lot you have to learn about it. Everyone thinks there's one way of it. And it's not. But I really became interested in being a sex therapist when I was living in Washington, D.C. I went to a Building Your Private Practice workshop. And the, the woman that hosted that workshop, she asked me what I did. And at the time, I specialized in disability, helping people relive their lives due to chronic illness, chronic pain, other forms of disability. And she said, you know, have you ever thought about becoming a sex therapist? Because people need help being able to do that, having reclaiming their sexuality due to illness or having some type of pleasure due to their disability. And I said, that's very interesting. And I was going to go back to school 
and get a master's in public health after I finished my doctorate because I was interested in epidemiology. And I was like, I don't really want to go do that. And so now I want to become a sex therapist. And so I started the process, which is like the equivalent to a master's degree. I mean, it was a lot of work, a lot of courses. We have to do like supervision and then we get the certification. So that's what really started it. And then I just became involved in all forms of sex therapy. And that's what really started my journey. How amazing. So what exactly does sex therapy entail? I feel like there's a lot of confusion. (laughs) (laughs) There is. A lot of people always ask me, what do you do as a sex therapist? And basically, it is a form of talk therapy. And the gold standard of it has always been cognitive behavioral therapy. So regulating our thoughts around sex and how to be... um, more rationally based in our thinking as opposed to irrational thinking. And so we talk about sexual problems. And in the course of that, some people may have anxiety about their sexual issues, depression, shame, anger. And so we hold space to be able to process those emotions. But we also give people techniques to try. So if they're wanting to work on an erectile challenge, we give them homework on where to find pleasure in their bodies. Um, If I'm working with a couple, we introduce different types of touch that they can engage in, non-genital touch, and then we can go into genital touch after that. So there's a lot that goes into it. But we also realize that sometimes it's more than just cognitive therapy. Sometimes people come in and they have deep-rooted sexual trauma. They have all kinds of things in their personal relationships. A couple may have, they may be emotionally disconnected from each other, and that's why they're not having sex. So it's more than just doing cognitive work. We have to really get down to the nitty-gritty on why people are having issues with their sexuality. So that's really what it is. Dr. Lee, I had never considered that people would be coming to you with trauma, but Obviously, that's a huge aspect of what you work on. Absolutely. I have people that come in where they've had sexual assault in any point of their lives, whether that's been from strangers, friends, family. I have people that have medical trauma where they've gone in to have surgery and they have trauma from that. And they have a hard time being in relationships. That's another thing that we do as sex therapists. We talk about dating. What do you want in a relationship, right? So we get into all of those things. And people really like the space when they have someone that they can talk to and it's private and it's confidential and it's sex positive and they can really share what they want. Sometimes they have a kink or a fetish and they don't know who to talk to about that. So they come to someone who's a sex therapist who's more kink aware. So if they throw out a term, we know what it means or something. So there's a lot that really goes into it. There's a lot of training. Totally. So what are some of the most common issues or areas that your clients like to work with you on? So there's a variety of issues, but a lot of them come in with sexual challenges. And some of that can be like low desire and arousal. They may have desire discrepancy with their partner. One partner may have higher desire, one has lower desire. And that's not all just cisgender heterosexual couples. I mean, I work with a lot of LGBTQIA plus folks. So everyone comes in with that. Uh, People may come in with erectile challenges. I tend to say challenges and not dysfunction. I think dysfunction is such a negative word, like sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction. It sounds like it's something you're never going to be able to work on when you hear dysfunction. I don't like that word. 
A hundred percent. And then people think there's something wrong with them and that's right. space yes. to start with, yes. you know? Right, right. So a lot of people come into sex therapy thinking that they're damaged or something. And then we realize, we normalize and say, you're not. This yeah. is quite common, whether it's due to your age or you have anxiety. And so I may see people that have erectile challenges. Um, if If they're a woman or a vulva owner, they may have painful intercourse. And they need to relax. And so people come in with premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation. A couple may be coming in because they're having a hard time conceiving. Um, people that come must in be a big of, one, I'd imagine. It is a big one. It is. And it really causes a lot of tension and stress in the relationship. Yeah. And so being able to hold space for that. And we also have people that come in with uh, infidelity and cheating. Mm-hmm. If there's been an affair. That's happened, whether they're monogamous or non-monogamous, you know, affairs and cheating just doesn't happen in monogamy. It can totally. happen in all different types of relationship structures. And so we find that people need help with that. Uh, people come in with chronic illness and disabilities that affect their sexuality and they want to learn how to be sexual in their bodies. We, I see a lot of folks who are, think, are thinking about their sexual orientation like I think I may be gay, lesbian, bisexual. I may, I'm, I'm feeling like I may be non-binary and I've never been able to share that with anyone. So we work on gender identity. We work on sexual orientation things that people may come in with. So there's like a whole realm of things. Now, some sex therapists may specialize in something specific. Uh, I'm one of those sex therapists. I, I, I treat it all. <laughs> You're like I'm the just, GP. I'm like a sponge. Yeah. Yeah. You're the yes. GP sex therapist. I love that for you. <laughs> That's exactly what I do. And, and if I, right. And if I need to understand something more, I'll go to colleagues and I'm not an expert in, in everything when it comes to sex, but you know, once you've been doing this for a while and you do your training, you get a handle on a lot of it and, and the skills that you need to have to help people. So and I'd imagine it's it never, would all yeah. be so rewarding. So, yeah. It is. It really is because sexuality is just as important as our mental health. And I think people don't think about that. I think for some people, sexuality and sex, it's still taboo in some ways. But I think we have to really think about that and that we all deserve pleasure. It's our birthright. We are people that love pleasure. We love intimacy. We love sharing it with people. And so we have to have a place to talk about that. And that's why we have sex therapists that can that can do that work. We also have people that come in that have compulsive sexual behavior and they want to work on that. And that's what we call it instead of sex addiction, because that has such a negative, you know, uh, meaning to it as well. First of all, you can't you can't diagnose sex addiction. And so when I hear someone that comes in and they say, I'm a sex addict. I'm like, well, tell me why you're a sex addict. And nine times out of 10, they just like sex. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> That's We're what I say. Addicts. I'm like, That's like, I'm like saying you like sugar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like sugar. The sugar addict. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I love sex too. I mean, that's one reason why I became a sex therapist. I also love it. Yeah. Well, so why to, not right? help people? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Totally. But yeah, I mean, you just have to, you have to do that. I may have someone that comes in with STIs and they feel shame around that. 
and I'm not going to find someone. And I think we have to normalize that too. STIs are STIs. They're not STDs because not every STI turns into a disease. So there's a lot of normalizing. And then people sometimes walk out of my office and they're like, wow, I'm actually, I'm okay. Yeah. So that's the, where the rewarding part comes in. Totally. And there, yeah. there seems to be more and more sex therapists popping up. So there's obviously a huge demand for it, which is amazing. Absolutely. Because yes. I agree with you. We need to normalize this. There's not enough mm-hmm. education around SDIs. It's still so taboo. Like people don't feel comfortable sharing what they're going through or even talking about it with a sexual partner, right? Right. There's that. And I think also just sex education at schools. I think they're still hearing the message of, if you have sex, you're going to get an STI or you're going to get pregnant. And I don't think that's the message because I have to tell you, when I heard that in school, I wanted to have sex. <laughs> Love that. I want, to see, I want to see what that's like. I'm, I'm curious about it. Right. So, yeah. Question just came to mind because I literally just saw an Instagram post about some Australian schools not being allowed to encourage children who are confused about their sexuality and their gender to transition. What are your thoughts on that? I feel like it's such a controversial topic, but also huge in the media right now. It is. It is in the media, and especially here in the United States too. And I think that we need to talk about it because they're going to get curious about it anyway. We're seeing more children actually come out as non-binary and trans. And when they're doing that, other students these days are like, oh, cool. Tell me more about that. Where years ago, if they did that, it was like, you're not supposed to do that. It was almost like, you're not bisexual. You're either, you need help. And you're not bisexual. You're either straight or you're gay. And I think nothing in between, right? Yeah. Nothing in between. And we need to talk more about it. And we need to normalize it that people have gender dysphoria. And when they can transition and be who they want to be, the euphoria that can come from that is amazing because I can't imagine growing up in a body that I don't agree with. I mean, to me, that is, to me, that's like torture. That's difficult. It's a prison. It's prison. Yeah. It's a prison sentence and having to do that and tell people that you can't talk about it. You can't have conversations about it. Talk about oppression. I mean, it's just, it's yeah. horrible. You can't talk about yeah. it. And if you do, we're not here to support you, which is worse. <laughs> right. It's worse. So you're traumatizing people even you're even worse, right? I mean, you're yeah. really damaging young children and teenagers and even adults who feel this way and they have felt this way for, for many, many years. Yeah. Often like since they could even like be conscious of their own bodies, right? Exactly. They just knew it was annoying. But I understand why there's a concern because I have read stories where people have regretted, um, Mm -hmm. you know, any surgeries that they've had. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. it's a balancing act, you know, I don't, I feel like people actually don't know what to do, you know, and everyone's just trying to work it out. And that's why it's so great that there's people like you who are normalizing these conversations so we can Mm -hmm. start having them a lot earlier. Right. And to also really process it, if this is what you really want to do with your body. Because some things you can't reverse. It's like, if this is what you want, let's talk about what joy it brings to you. Let's talk about the anxiety that comes up for you. Let's normalize that so people can get to a place where 
they can make the decision that they want to make and they're and they're happy with their decision hopefully but things change over time of yeah. course okay yeah. so dr lee i feel like i have to ask how important do you think sex is in a relationship <laughs> oh my gosh it's so important however it depends on the person some people are in these platonic i'm seeing more of that like if they've got a a pro- a primary partner that they're with and they are monogamous, sex can go to the wayside sometimes. And there's a way to reclaim it if that's what they want. I have people that come in and they're fine having sex once a month with each other. And if that's what they're fine with, we have to normalize that too. Because some people think, oh, you haven't had sex in a month. Something's wrong with you. Not necessarily. It really depends on what the person wants and how sexual they are. But I do think it is very important in a relationship to keep it alive. It's this other factor of it. It's not the most important thing to some people, but to others, it is. Yeah. I mean, as a woman, it's important. It's yeah. connection, right? For me, it's just being intimate with my partner. It's not so much the act. It's just like, that's mm-hmm. that's a form of connection that I don't have with anybody else in my life, you know? Right, right. And I see that with most women. Women love the connection. They love the intimacy. And when we say intimacy, sexual intimacy is just one form of intimacy. Totally. And then you have people that love that, love the act and that's what they do. It's like, This is what we do. So some people have spontaneous desire where they think about sex and they can have it. And then other people have responsive desire where something has to happen first before they really want it. A lot of times women have arousal first, then they have desire. Where a lot of men that I work with, they have desire and arousal at the same time. So it's being able to work with that balance. And I think when people can understand that, a lot of times they can have better sex. Totally. So it's be, yeah. What does sex mean to you? And what does it mean to you as a couple? I think that you made a really good point that like intimacy comes in lots of different forms because for couples who are only having sex once a month, maybe they're showing each other love and connection and intimacy all throughout the week. But there are other couples who are having lots of sex, but aren't very nice to each other during the week. You, know? <laughs> so you can't define your relationship based on how much sex you're having, right? <laughs> exactly. Because there are some that can't, I mean, I've had people come into therapy and they're like, we can't stand each other. And then we had sex. And I'm like, which is often the best um, sometimes for whatever reason, it'd be great. <laughs> fighting, fighting sex, arguing sex, breakup, breakup sex, all of yeah. that. Right. The height yeah. Of so, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it really depends on what they want and what does it mean to them? But I do think it is very important because I think sometimes it's what really keeps the relationship alive too. It makes it fun. I feel like it's what differentiates you from friends, you know, like if we're not sleeping together, then we're just mates in my opinion, you know, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like it's such a interesting question to ask. What does a healthy sex life look like to you? Because I am a woman in my 30s and obviously all my female friends are now in their 30s and we are noticing that our male partner's sex drives are not what they used to be. (laughs) And our definition of healthy is often very different to theirs. And so I'm curious, Mm -hmm. have you had couples who have come to you and said, okay, well, we have really different definitions of what healthy looks like. How do you help them find a middle ground without offending each other? Because it often ends in a fight, right? It does. It does end in a fight. So I think the one thing that 
couples work or relationship therapy can do is help people hear each other in a safe space. Because when they try to do it on their own, it turns into a power struggle. And then nothing, nothing happens. One partner lashes out even more. The other one may shut down or both partners shut down. But if they have a space and a therapy office where they can sit down and a therapist can help facilitate and hear each other, I think that's very helpful because they can look at their challenges like an opportunity. It doesn't have to be a problem. It's like, you see it this way and I see it this way. Maybe we can combine those and you can have the pleasure that you want to have and I can have the pleasure that I want to have. And then the other thing that's really important is that they validate each other. And they don't have validation is not agreeing with your partner. It's just making sense of their reality and acknowledging how they feel. I don't think that happens in relationships enough and it needs to, and then show empathy to your partner. So these challenges are opportunities. There are ways to grow. They don't have to turn into a power struggle or a rupture all the time. It can be something intimate. Yeah. No one wins, but I feel like people are so sensitive when it comes to sex. So if you're not sleeping with your partner, obviously, particularly as a female, you're going to take that personally, but maybe your partner is just really stressed with work. So like you said, creating a safe space where you can hear them Mm -hmm. and then like Mm -hmm. actually have some compassion towards them. Yeah, right. Marking them. Exactly, exactly. And I have a lot of women that see me and they're like, if I don't have sex with him, he gets so angry and I'm tired. So I'll just take one for the team and I'll do it. And then it's done. And then sometimes he's fine with that. And then sometimes he's not. So I think it's important for men to also ask women, what do you like? Yeah. What do you want me to do? Sometimes people get into this mindset that they know what their partner likes and they really don't know. And then they assume, yeah. I feel like, or they just like kind of see it as like, you know, a service that they have to perform. They're not actually engaged. You know, they're not actually connected. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to like get it out of the way. Well, that's my like weekly session with you, you know? And and, like going back to what you said about women, like I've got a lot of friends who now have young kids. So they do Mm -hmm. have less of a sexual appetite and they are struggling to maintain that spark in a relationship. I'm so Mm -hmm. curious what tips and tricks do you have for couples who have kind of, I, I guess, essentially lost the spa? So I think there's a way to reclaim that. And that's by erotic curiosity. It's really coming together on what really brings you pleasure because we have the things that get us going and we have the things that don't. And so one of the things that I recommend, especially to a lot of women What is it that you like to do with yourself, touching yourself? Have you looked at your vulva? Take the mirror and look at it, examine it, see what's down there, touch yourself and whatever brings you pleasure, share that with your partner. I think sometimes solo sex and masturbation, that's what it's great for because you can touch yourself the way that you want to be touched and then you can have your partner do that with you. So then it's creativity and it's fun. I think people need to take erotic risks because eroticism is what keeps a relationship alive. So that's where sex therapy again comes in because they have a place where they can start thinking about it because if they're not seeing a sex therapist, they're sitting at home on their phones and they're not doing anything. So I think there's this curiosity. So my mantra has always been get curious about your partner and get creative with your sex. That's Um, what you have to do. You have to waken it up and talk about what is it that you like and what do I like and how do we make that meet? So many people 
have things that they love sexually and they just don't share it with their partner. But right? she's so they're afraid of, yeah. The judge well, reject- something. Yeah. Action, shame, you're going to shame me because I'm into this or, but I think if we can normalize that more and now some, now fantasies are very personal to people, but sometimes it can be fun to share that with your partner because it can be creative. Totally. So we talk a lot about that in therapy. Yeah. That's how you waken things up. But first of all, you have to also look at why they're disconnected. Why are they not having sex? Are they emotionally disconnected, tired, stressed, mental health? issues that are that are going on what's going on you know during covid and the pandemic mm. I, I personally saw couples having less sex because they were with each other all day totally <laughs> yeah they didn't have that space to like miss them and desire them right so yeah. if a couple comes to you and says i just don't desire my partner anymore do you think it's just because the lust phase has worn off or is there always something like underlying that like a lack of communication or you know, like a lack of presence in the relationship, like what just happens mm-hmm. to desire? I'm so curious. I think it can be, a, I think it can be all the things that you just named, to be honest with you, because when we're with someone and we're with them for a long time, things change. They may have children, they may have new jobs, their bodies may change. We age, we're with each other all the time. We get to see what they do on a daily basis. There's that. There's the idea of they get on each other's nerves. They're they're frustrated. They're tired. They're fatigued. You know, the desire could be going on with them. It could be an individual thing that's happening that's going on with them. And they're just not telling each other. And so it's like this elephant that's just sitting there with them, but they're not saying anything. It could be hormonal changes. There's a lot of different things that cause desire discrepancy, but there's always a way to reclaim it to wake it up with that curiosity that I was talking about. But that's, that's what really happens, I think, in a lot of relationships. And, you know, when people first meet each other, they can't get enough of each other. A lot of times they, they're, we call that Eros energy, Eros being the God of love, Aphrodite's son, they have this energy that locks them in, but then, then things change and they get comfortable with each other. And sometimes the sex, it just, it just stops. Sometimes the routine of the sex is is boring. Sometimes they do five minutes of foreplay, if there's even foreplay, or yeah, what we that's call on a good day. That's on a good day. Or do they even do that? Let's get it over with. So they go right into whatever it is they do, right? And then they do like, what? A couple minutes of penetrative sex, if that's what they do. And then they're done and they, they're like, okay, time for bed. Well, that's not... So pleasurable. You want to make it more exciting. Totally. So I think relationships change over time. Yeah. And a part of my job is to help awaken that up. What are you curious about? What are the times that you really loved about each other? So sometimes I'll have a couple come in or two people that are dating and we'll reminisce. What was it like when you first met each other? What was that? What was the night like when you first had sex with each other? What happened? Walk me through that. And they're kind of both looking at me like, what? <laughs> that would be so like awkward <laughs> at first. Like really I lo- know what it was like when we first slept together. Yeah, <laughs> but I love throwing curveballs. It's like, let me throw that curveball because then that starts to waken them up. It starts to motivate them. And then they start to get curious about each other. It changes their like mindset. It takes them back. It does. Yeah, totally. It takes them back. Yeah. yeah. So when they loved each other, 
Um, or there's, like I said, you know, sometimes after cheating or an affair, that can be a long healing process. And once the partner that's been cheated on, they may feel very weak if they just let the person back in, they struggle with that. And then the person that cheated feels bad as well. And there's a lot of reasons why people cheat. It's not just because you're not getting enough sex. Usually the person that cheats, they're hurting inside. Something's going on in the relationship on why they stepped out of it. And I think people need to understand that. People always think that, oh, he cheated. He'll always cheat. He's a sex addict. You're not giving him the sex that he wants. So he's going to go out and get it somewhere else. That's not always the case. Sometimes people are hurting and they've hurt each other. And that's why they go and cheat. Out of the couples that you've seen that are dealing with infidelity, how many of them Mm -hmm. on a, like a guess percentage wise actually make it? I think the ones that, that I've seen, I would have to say out of all the couples that I've seen with infidelity, I would say 75% of them make it. Wow. And things change, though, in my experience as a therapist with my clients. uh, uh, You know, people talk about this, you know, Esther Perel and Dr. Tammy Nelson. They're two therapists that are just they are the the gurus of, you know, when it comes to infidelity and non-monogamy and affairs and things of that nature. But I think that um, there is this new normal that happens. The affair happens. It hurts us. We heal from it. That's just it in a nutshell. There's more, there's more um, stages that go on with that. But what does the healing look like and where are we at now? And what needs to change for us to be successful? You don't want to go back into a relationship after an affair and it's the same thing again. You know, both partners have to change. Both partners have to realize what they've done to each other. And I think when they can do that and the accountability can come out, then we see healing in the relationship and we can see great sex. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. I've had I've had couples that have actually, um, when they've gotten back together after an affair, they end up becoming somewhat non-monogamous. They become monogamish, where they step out of that monogamy, and they do things together, or they do things separately. How interesting! So, do you believe in monogamous relationships? Because there's obviously a lot of debate around how sustainable they are. From what you've seen, do you think they work? I do. I do think they work. I think it takes a lot of work. I think it takes a lot of spicing it up. I think two people can be be together and love each other and be there for each other and enjoy each other sexually. But it takes work, just like all relationships. And I see a lot of people who are monogamous. Absolutely. So Dr. Lee, porn is obviously such a big part of our culture do you think it has had a negative or positive impact on our sex lives? I think it has both. Mm-hmm. I think that people can get so sucked into it that they become so used to it and that novelty, and then it pulls them away sometimes from being with their partner. That has happened. I, I can look at a screen and see different types of it and masturbate my own way that my partner doesn't know how I do it. And so then after they do that every day or how often they do it, they go to be intimate with their partner and they may have some dysfunction. Well, there's that word. I just said a challenge. Um, <laughs> where, <laughs> I say it sometimes too, and I don't like it. Um, and then, and then it causes something, right? So there's that. 
So that can be the part that I think can be hard about it. But then there's also, it's great for people too, because it allows you to enjoy watching something, to get off, to bring yourself pleasure. People can watch it together. They can get creative. You know, I mean, porn is the worst type of sex education ever. Totally. (laughs) We should not be modeling our sex lives off porn. (laughs) Exactly. No, no, no. But I think we can, we can see something in it and, and, and it can turn us on. Right. So there's different ways to look at it. I think it's okay. I personally feel like it's not a problem if someone's partner masturbates. Some people have an issue with that. When I work with more cisgender heterosexual couples, they have more of an issue with that than LGBTQ couples do. I mean, I'll have a a cisgender head couple come in and the female may have an issue with it because he's desiring other women. So he must not be into me. So sometimes it's not about that. It's like, he just likes the novelty and he's monogamous, but he wants to see something different every once in a while. Right. Or Sometimes the male partners have gotten upset. I've had men that come in and they're like, I caught my wife looking at porn. (laughs) (laughs) She was looking at porn. I get it. I see both sides. I mean, if you're in a relationship where you're only having sex once a month, like you said before, but your partner is masturbating to porn every second day. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, it's difficult not to be offended by that, right? It can be, it can be difficult. And you know what? I think the thing too, is that we're seeing more of that. I think a lot of people are doing that where they're not having as much sex, but they're both masturbating. And so there's because a disconnect. That, I feel like there's, there's a, a disconnect. I think there's a disconnect too. There can be a disconnect, but I think people look at porn and masturbate for several different reasons. Totally. I think people look at it when they are aroused, but they also look at it to relieve stress. I have a lot of chronic pain patients that use it to help alleviate their pain. It helps them relax in the evening. People will masturbate in the morning to give them some energy. They'll do it in the afternoon just to take a stress break or do whatever they want to do. So there's a lot of reasons why people do it, but I do agree with you. I think that there can be a disconnect, especially if one partner is having an issue with it. Like she's, he's looking at the porn, but he's not intimate with me. And that's hurtful to me. So we have to address that in in sex therapy or couples therapy as well. But then you've got people that are companions and they're great with each other and they choose not to have a lot of sex with each other, but they watch porn. So I think it's a lot of different reasons. Have you ever had a couple who only has sex when one of them has porn on in the background? Yeah, uh, to get them excited and aroused and what the partner may be fine with that, but maybe they're not, you know? So if they're not okay with it, we talk about a compromise. What can you do to get creative for you to enjoy the sex that you want to have Maybe without porn, what would that look like? Yeah. You know, it's funny, all these questions that you're asking, this has all happened in Sex and the City. So, really? <laughs> in Maybe the show, it's there, all the questions came from, and I just had no idea. It's stored somewhere in my subconscious. <laughs> Thank you, Sex and the City. Yeah. 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 I mean, but all it's obviously happening then, right? You it know? happens. No, all the things that you're asking, I see in, in, in therapy every day. Yeah. Every day. These are the things that come up. He looks at too much porn, but he doesn't desire me or, you know, but I've also, I've also had people that come in and they'll find their partner masturbating to porn 
and they'll want to know. They're like, what do you watch? And sometimes they're like, I don't want to tell you. Well, why, why don't you want to tell me? And because it can be personal. And um, I have I a friend. I actually get that. that. Like, I get that. Something's it's a personal. private. You know, it has nothing no, they, to do with your relationship. Right. It's a private exactly. space, you know? It's, and yeah. Right. It's a private thing and I don't want to tell you. Um, but I have to share with you. And my, I have a friend back home and he knows I share this story with everyone. So his wife one night, she got up in the middle of the night and he was like at the dining room table and he was sitting there and she gets up to go to the bathroom and she looks over and he slams his laptop down. And she was like, what are you doing? Not so she goes to the bathroom at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she goes to the bathroom. She comes out and she's like, all right, I'm going back to bed. So she asked him the next day, she was like, what were you doing? And he said, I was looking at porn. She goes, what kind? And he said, I don't want to want to tell you. And she's like, oh, come on. You know, I'm not going to get angry. So he was into like women that would wear like 80s yoga pants, <laughs> like cheetah, cheetah print yoga pants. Right. And so one day she got home early and she went to like Walmart or something and got a pair of these like cheetah print or department store to get cheetah print yoga pants. And he came home and she had them on and it, and they had the best sex. Like oh it was God. his turn on. So yeah. it was a way for them to connect, actually, because she was curious about what he was watching. Yeah. So, Love that. Say porn. Yeah. Good. <laughs> it can be good. It's not always bad. Exactly. No, definitely not. Right. So you mentioned that people come to you with like performance anxiety or just anxiety in general. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that this is such a big thing for people? Because I hear it all the time. A lot of guys struggle yeah. to like, you they know, make yeah. a yeah, to be mm-hmm. like maintain their arousal when they're having sex. And then women mm-hmm. like about their, you know, bodies and how they look while they're having sex. It's huge. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of different reasons why. You know, the first thing that I always do is make sure that they have gone to their doctor to get a medical evaluation to make sure that it's something not medical, because we do have various conditions that can cause erectile challenges like high blood pressure diabetes, other chronic illnesses that can cause it. But if what we find is when that's clear and their testosterone levels are fine, that there is some form of anxiety that's there. And sometimes I've had people come in and they're like, you know, I'm fine in everything that I do, but I get so anxious about this one thing. And I think a lot of it has to do with, am I going to be able to please my partner? Are they going to be happy with what I'm going to offer them? And, you know, am I going to be comfortable in my body? Sometimes when people do have body image issues, they can lose their erection or women may feel very uncomfortable. And so, you know, the brain is the powerhouse of sex and it communicates to the genitals. So people get very nervous. And what happens is the blood vessels close in the genitals and that's when they lose the erection. And then they feel upset, they get angry. And we're not just seeing older men are penis owners with this, but there are young men in their 20s that are having having these conditions because they're just anxious in the bedroom. They want to please. And I think they're taught to perform. Men, toxic masculinity. You don't have emotions. You go in, you do your thing, you're done. And I think sometimes, depending on the type of family dynamic they were raised in, we see that in the bedroom. Like I have to be the best of the best. And then when I get anxious, I lose the erection. She's going to get upset or they're going to get upset. 
and they have to be the alpha male right which it's so funny because I love what you were saying about the connection between our genitals and our brain because sex is Mm -hmm. purely mental for me so Mm -hmm. if I'm not feeling that like mental connection or if I'm not feeling good about myself I can't enjoy sex and I get to in my head about oh well I'm not pleasing them but it's funny because mm-hmm. it causes a disconnect, which often like hurts them. And that's the opposite of what you're hoping to achieve, right? Exactly. There's a disconnect. You get anxious. So then you don't feel comfortable and then it becomes awkward. So even if it's with a partner that you've been with for a long time, you want to make sure that you're doing some things that make you relax. So therefore we may do some sensate focus, which is a way of calming your body, which is a type of sex therapy that was developed years and years ago by two people, Masters and Johnson, on how to connect with your body and do some non-genital touch to get yourself aroused and to relax. Because you need to go into sex feeling relaxed. If you don't, you're going to be anxious and it's going to be about a performance. And we know that sex is all about pleasure. The other thing that I normalize too is if your penis goes flaccid, you can still have fun. Yeah, You can go and do something different and then yeah. you can regain your erection. And if you don't regain the erection, that's okay too. I think we have to celebrate soft penises. I love that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to do an Instagram post. Guys, it's time to celebrate soft penises. <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, you know, it's okay because there's other ways to receive pleasure. Totally. The skin is the largest. Yeah, the skin Women is the largest. Would sex be such organ. an advocate right. for that. Like for me, penetration is the last thing on the list. <laughs> like for most women, it is. Yeah, and men think it's the first thing that they want. Yeah, come on, let's face it. The a baby has to come out of the vagina. Come on, <laughs> all the nerve endings are in the clitoris. That's where it's at. And sometimes men. Or other people that may be pleasuring a vulva, they may not necessarily know that. That's why you have to ask your partner, what do you want? What do you like? Totally. But I feel like that that was the influence of porn. That's like how porn has damaged people's sex lives because it's all penetration based, right? You don't see guys like kissing women's skin in porn. It's just in and out. You don't. You see it for like five minutes and then... (laughs) I feel like five minutes is even generous. (laughs) Maybe like, maybe like two seconds. Right. And then it goes in and then it goes right into penetrative sex. Right. So that's entertainment. It's, it's a show. That's what that is. Exactly. You mentioned yeah, performance piece. So we want, we watch that and that becomes ingrained in people. And then they try that in the bedroom and what we see in the bedroom or what we see in the media is not what happens in the bedroom. 100%. So we, that's what we talk about in sex therapy as well, to normalize that. Like, it's okay if you don't have this rock hard erection, you can do other things. We have these erogenous zones on our bodies that you can touch, that you can get involved in the back of your neck, behind your knees, um, your scalp, scratching your scalp, touching your scalp. There's so many things that we can do to get creative in the bedroom. And people just don't know that because they have been ingrained into something that they watch. So true. So when I asked my listeners what I should ask you today, a Uh lot of them came back uh, wanting to know about why it's so difficult for so many women to orgasm. Is this something you come across a lot? Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of women have a difficult time uh, reaching orgasm. And sometimes when, if they have a male partner, that's already reached orgasm, they're just getting started. 
Totally. So, <laughs> Always. <laughs> they're just getting there. They're like, wait, 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 you know? So I think, again, it comes down to what does she know about her body? Does she know what brings her own pleasure? Has she masturbated? Has she used toys? There's so many amazing sex toys out there now. I mean, especially for the clitoris. I mean, it's it's amazing, these toys. That, that are made for, for vault for women and vulva owners that you and can some of them are enjoy. really beautiful now. <laughs> <laughs> like the toys are not what they used to be in the nineties. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I know because they were all shaped as a penis. Yes. <laughs> so true. They were like huge and just hideous. They were huge and yeah. hideous and they were, they were big. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and yeah. Hard I mean, and like, yeah. So different. hard and, and plastic. And, yes. Yes. You know, and we'd vibrate never, something that was about to explode. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, they were scary. Yeah. yeah they, were. they were really, they were really scary, but now they're like nice and interesting and they have different shapes and they can, they can suction and they can vibrate. Yeah. So I think, I think if women and other Volvo owners can get curious about that on what they like, then they can let their partner know. Sex at its heart, it's all about communication. So it's being able to explore that. And also using some cognitive therapy. How do you regulate your thought process? How do you calm your nervous system? A lot of times when women don't reach orgasm, they're very anxious as well. And okay. they, I got they two in my head. Stay. Yep, two in the head. So I can't get there. So there's a lot of things that we can that we can do. And a lot of it really does come down to, um, it does come down to education. It's oh, education. Totally. It's, it's, it's masturbation. It's, it's touching with your partner to see what parts on your body that you find more pleasurable. It's, it's looking at sexual enhancement devices like sex toys, which are fabulous and really looking at therapy and really getting in touch with your body and know what brings you pleasure. And I think that when people can do that, then they can have several orgasms. What? Multiple? <laughs> multiple. <laughs> I that was a <laughs> went, multiple orgasms. Wow. I was always jealous that I was always jealous that women in Volvo owners could have that. I mean, men, they have an orgasm and they have a refractory period where they have to wait, or they have an orgasm and they're just done. You know? <laughs> It's not going to necessarily happen again. Right, right. So huge difference between men and women. They're done. And we're like, oh, that was just the pregame. Buckle up. (laughs) But often they don't, you know, because it's just been normalized that it's like, oh, well, I'm done, you know, session over. But yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's all about creativity and knowing what feels good in your body. Totally. So a listener also wanted to know about the latest clinically based evidence treatments for anorgasmia. Mm -hmm. What is that? And do you know? Well, anorgasmia is the inability to orgasm. And I think, I don't know if there's like a specific like latest treatment for it. I think it's a combination of things that I just talked about. I think it is touching your body, masturbating, showing your partner what you like, um, looking at therapy, trying different things to get creative. And, you know, always, again, ruling out medical conditions first, because there could be something that is happening. So I would recommend going to a sexual medicine doctor to really figure out what's happening there, um, or your gynecologist to kind of talk about 
what's happening to see what they think could be the reason. And if everything's clear on the medical end, then we know that a lot of this is psychological and it's just getting comfortable in your body. And I think when people can do that, then they normalize it. And then again, maybe they can have one orgasm or multiple orgasms. You just never know. But it's interesting what you said about being comfortable in your body, because at the beginning of this episode, you were like, get a mirror, have a look down there. I just simply mm-hmm. couldn't do that. I And then mm-hmm. some people have said like, you know, you're the exact sort of person who, who needs to do that then, you know? And I know this amazing right. woman who actually takes photos of people's vaginas and she's like, let me photograph you. And I'm like, this is becoming traumatic for me. Like, you know, and (laughs) like you're about to traumatize me. And I don't feel a lot of people do know how to be comfortable in their bodies. You know, there, there's also like a personal disconnect taking place. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from experience. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I agree with that 100%. I think that, um, it's really hard for people to connect to their bodies if they, are having body image issues. They don't want to. They don't want to see what's down there. They're afraid. There's fear. Maybe they were taught not to. There's a lot of different reasons that tie into this. But if they're willing to, you know, and if they're not, we try to think of some other ways. Well, what about touching your body a little bit, getting curious about your body if you want to be able to do that? I I have a lot of people that come in and they'll say, I don't like it when he touches me this way. And I'm like, okay, well, you have to tell him how to touch you. He doesn't know. And <laughs> I think not a mind like, we've been together for like 20 years, Dr. Lee, he should know. He doesn't know because first of all, you don't practice it that much. So you have to tell him what it is that you like sexually. And that's for all partners. That's for men, mm-hmm. women, everybody, people. What do you, what is it that you love um, erotically? What are those things that awaken the eroticism. And I think if they can do that, then it can really normalize a lot of things when it comes to sex. I love how you said it's all about communication and that's the same for relationships, right? And you're, mm-hmm. you mentioned you're a relationship therapist as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Lee, what does a healthy relationship look like to you? I think a healthy relationship are two people that can communicate with each other that like to be around each other, that like to have fun with each other, that respect each other's needs, that also respect their own autonomy, and they don't have to be enmeshed and right up underneath each other. I think also being able to understand their own personal boundaries in a relationship is so needed. I think being able to um, enjoy each other's company, their pleasure with each other, being supportive of each other, being a team. When I think of a healthy relationship, I think of a team. It's not about sex. It's about how do you work together as a team and how do you show up for your partner? That's a healthy relationship. If you've got one partner showing up and the other one's not, or one partner's checked out, what's going on with that? That's not very healthy. Or if you have a relationship where it's constant criticism, stonewalling, where they're shutting down or they're getting defensive or they're in high conflict mode, that's not healthy. So we want to look look at how do you work together as a team and how do you show up? And if you show up for each other, that's a healthy relationship. It's so true. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more that you're supposed to be a team. You're not just lovers. You're not just friends. You know, you have to be on the same team. Because life is going to throw curveballs, you know, and you're going to get all the time. Yeah. All the time. All the time. It it is all the time. I mean, life doesn't stop when you're in a relationship or you're married. You're going to have stressors. 
and you're going to have to tackle it together. And you may have some arguments and power struggles along the way, but sometimes it's healthy to have a good argument because you can get a point across and you can hear each other. Totally. And I love what you said about how do you show up? Because like I said, a lot of my friends have kids now and often they feel like they show up more than their partners, you know? And then there's this, again, disconnect because their partners are like, well, I go to work every day to provide the life that we have. And they're like, yeah, but you come home and you're, you're not there. You're not present with me. You know, so it's like defining what, how you want your partner to show up for you, I think is so important. Like you said, we're not mind readers, right? right? You're not mind readers. And if you have children, then you have to carve out time on your schedule to where you can have a date night with each other and you can connect. It's all about connection. And if you're not making the time for each other, then you're going to be even more disconnected. Totally. Dr. Larry, do you believe in love at first sight? No, but I believe in lust. (laughs) You sound like my partner because I'm such a hopeless romantic and I'm like, I can't believe it wasn't love at first sight for you. And he's like, you know what? I don't, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I think that some people may experience it, but some people may, there's the, I don't know. I think that people sometimes have the physical attraction first. They look at someone, they're like, Hmm, they're attractive because you can look at someone, find them attractive and get to know them. And they're a total douchebag. Oh, all the time. Or you get to know them and you fall for them. So I think I think falling in love, it's like a process. It's like this, I feel like it's climbing up a mountain and it's going over the barriers and it's really getting to know the person. I think when you see someone at first, it's very much this attraction. There's a pull there. And when you've got that pull, then I think that you you want to get to know them more. Totally. I'm such a fan of the slow burn now because it takes time to really know like traits and true character and their values, you know? So yeah, Yeah. I'm I'm coming around to the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have so many people that come in and they'll share something about their partner and the other one will look at them or they'll share something about themselves and they'll go, oh, I didn't know that she was like that or he was like that. They didn't even know. They've been together for years and they never knew that that happened to them or you know, and I think it's important for people to really communicate what happens in their lives. And you said something about values. What are your values? They need to be talked about on the first date. A hundred (laughs) percent. Oh my God. People get married and have kids and they never spoke about how they wanted to raise their kids and what their life would look like together once they had children. It's like, what? (laughs) And then they end up in my office when that happens. Totally. Oh my gosh. So what are some of the most common issues in relationships that you're coming across? Well, I think the number one is that a lot of times people in relationships, they don't know how to talk to each other. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to share their needs. And sometimes that comes from childhood. Sometimes they were never taught how to communicate their needs. So we have to talk about where do you feel it in your body? If you, what's happening in your body for you to be able to share with your partner. Communication is like the number one thing. Um, also just like sexless, sexless relationships, the sex dies, it goes away, it goes to the wayside. So they want to waken that up again. Those are the two most common things that really happen. It's like, there's a disconnect that happens. And I think that people are always connected, but they're disconnected in their experience because they're with each other. They're watching TV together. They're doing things with each other. They're spending quality time with each other but they're not intimate with each other. And so that's why there's a dis- there's a disconnection in the experience that has to be worked on. 
I know so many couples who don't even kiss each other anymore, let alone when they have sex. They don't kiss. And for me, kissing is more intimate than sex, similar to holding hands. Like, if I don't like you, oh, I'm yeah. not holding your hands. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, yeah. And so yeah. It's, yeah. it's just mind-blowing that you can be in, like they can mm-hmm. be your husband or your wife and you're not even kissing anymore. You know, the basic foundations mm-hmm. of intimacy. Yeah. And I think some people get into a relationship and they're like, I'm, I'm going to have the fear. I'm going to lose myself of who I am and my own autonomy. And then some people go into a relationship and they're like, oh, I found my person. Now I can just go into it because that person that does that, they're really wanting security. And the other person, sometimes they avoid a little bit because they're like, wow, I may lose myself. I, I miss doing my own little things. And now that I'm living with my partner, all that's about to change. I think it's it's so important to maintain your individual identities whilst being in the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting what you were saying about communication, because I actually don't think we're ever taught how to properly communicate. When you think about school, Mm -hmm. we are taught to receive information and regurgitate it back, but we're not taught how to communicate. So it's like, thank goodness there are people like you who are like, this is the basics of communication. (laughs) Right, right. Like not not knowing how to communicate. We're not taught to communicate. We're taught just to be good, good children and don't share our needs. And so then we don't know how to do that into a relationship. So what happens is we go into freeze mode where we don't know what to say, or we fight and lash out, or we want to run, or we go into something called fawning, where we want to appease our partner and just problem solve. What do, what, what do I have to do to make this work? Right. Mm-hmm. So there's, those are type of the things that happen in the stress response when these things occur in relationships. Absolutely. Totally. And Dr. Lee, I have been guilty of this many times before, but why do you think so many people chase unavailable love? Mm. <laughs> because... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, really how long question. do you have? <laughs> uh, yeah. How long? <laughs> Book me in. <laughs> because they, they want what they can't have. Yeah. Interesting. And it looks good. And it looks good. They chase those things. They see something that they like and they want it and they know they can't have it. So they want to keep going after it. I think what that, is that Why do we want what we can't have? Like if you don't desire me, if you don't want me, shouldn't that be enough to be like, all right, on to the next <laughs> rather than wasting years of your life. <laughs> it's the chase. It's something yeah. with the chase. There's something with the chase that they like and that drives them where they should, intellectually speaking, they should just be fine with what they have, but they like excitement. They like the eroticism piece. So they want to run after it and they want to chase it. And it's really fascinating when that happens. And that has shown up in my office quite a bit. Like there's this girl that I want. I know I can't have her. There's this guy that I like, but he's with this girl. And I don't know why he's with this girl, but he is. Well, what about other people? I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are wanting a relationship. So what does that look like to you? So we talk about that too. So it can be a little normalized and we can really get creative. And so they don't have to always get hung up on some things. A lot of people come into therapy because they also want to change the pattern of what they're doing. Mm. I want to stop dating a person. All of a sudden I break up with them and I go with somebody else and then I go with somebody else. And I want to be able to sustain a relationship. Yeah, that's a big one. I think it's a self-esteem issue. They don't feel very confident in themselves. So they self-sabotage and they run away. That happens a lot. Um, Totally. Right. So that's a big piece of it. So those are some of the common things that definitely happen. 
So why do you think so many people these days struggle to make relationships work? I think they struggle to make relationships work because I think that they have their own agenda that they have going on and their own feelings and their own emotions. And also we know that relationships take work. We don't want to look at it like some people don't want to look at it like a job, but when you think about it, they take work, they take effort, they take the time to spend. And I think people sometimes they're like afraid of that, or they just have their own agenda. And I think that that can be something that can really um, cause more damage for them in the long run. That's why they have to address that. They have to understand their behavior and why they act that way. So Dr. Lee, I agree that relationships take work, but then I feel like people Mm -hmm. end up in dysfunctional relationships and just convince themselves that, oh, relationships are hard work. But it's like, well, they Mm -hmm. require work, but I don't necessarily agree that it should be hard work. What are your thoughts on that? I don't think it should be hard work either. I think it should be fun. You have to make something fun. You look at it like an adventure. You look at it like creativity, right? You don't, you don't have to look at it like it's hard work. We know it's work, but there's other ways to make it fun. You're in it together. So when I have a couple that comes in and they're in conflict or we have to heal that, but then I have people that come in and they just want to spice things up and have fun. Well, let's talk about what that is. What can you do? How can you get very creative? So there's ways to work through this, but I think everyone gets in their own mindset and they're like, it's never going to work. It's never going to work. And then they find themselves not doing. Do you think the relationships require compromise? Because I feel like compromise has become a dirty word. (laughs) I think it has become a dirty word, but I think sometimes it does because you're not always going to want to do what your partner wants to do. You're going to have your own interests and your own things that you love. And I think, I think sometimes it is nice to be able to do something that your partner wants you to do that you may not be into. Like my husband wants to go see an opera. I'm going to fall asleep, but I'll probably go. <laughs> I'm with you. I'd be napping right next to you. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I don't want to do that, but I'll go because I know that it's important to him and he likes that. So I'll do that. I mean, he watches Real Housewives with me and sometimes he can't stand them. He's like, I can't stand these ladies. Why do you watch this? And I'm like, because they're crazy. I'm like, they're, they're, they're off the chain and I've been doing therapy all day and I want to watch something that kind of takes me, you know? So it's all about like, so I don't know if it's such a bad word. I mean, I think sometimes it can be healthy. Like, okay, you want to do this. I want to do this, but how do we integrate this together? That could be a healthy compromise. Yeah, totally. totally. So based on what you've seen, Uh, do you think coupled or single people are happier? (laughs) Wow. That's a good question. I think it's, um, I think it's both. I think there are single people who love being single. They love being able to choose who they want to be around. They love being able to choose who they want to have sex with. They love it. They love their autonomy. They love their space. They love their freedom. I think they may get lonely. Some people get lonely, some don't because they can use their friends for that. And then I think people love being in a relationship. I think during COVID, if people really wanted to be with people and if you were isolated and alone during the pandemic, that was really hard for people. So I think couples can have fun and they love, people love being in relationships and they don't, they don't want to go through life 
alone. They want someone to sleep next to them at night. And then you've got people that would never want that. So it's really up to the person. But then you've got people that have been in so many relationships and they're just tired Mm. of relationships. They don't want to be with anyone. They want to be able to have fun or they want to be able to take a break. So yeah. I think singles can have fun, but I also oh, I think loved people it. Are... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, there was a part of me that did too. Yeah. I think a lot of people did. I, think yeah. I almost feel like everyone did parts of it. There had to be something that you liked being single. Totally. And if yeah. you don't, then I feel like that is a reflection of your relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you aren't mm-hmm. comfortable with yourself. You don't like parts of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Parts of yourself. That's a good point. There's something within you yeah. that you don't like. And sometimes you need to figure out what that is. So you can be in a relationship. Totally. So we all have, we have insecurities. Find out what your insecurities are yeah. and then take it from there. Right. It's okay to have insecurities. Everyone we all has have them. them. Yeah. We yeah. all have them. We have anxieties. We don't feel good about something. We all feel that way. Oh my gosh. Right. Yes. So we've spoken a lot about how we need to normalize a lot of things. What mm-hmm. are the things that you think we need to normalize when it comes to sex and relationships? I think we need to normalize that sex is not about a performance. It's about pleasure. It ends when it wants to end. You don't have to have the best direction. You don't have to be you know, lubricated to the point of, you know, I mean, it's, it is just going to be what it is. So I think we need to normalize that. We need to normalize that there are going to be conflicts in relationship. No relationship is perfect. You're going to have problems. And it doesn't mean that that the relationship's being threatened. It's just like a conflict that needs to be addressed. Totally. Exactly. It's a conflict. (laughs) Normalize conflicts, normalize soft penises and and conflicts. (laughs) Um, That's what we need to do. Um, I think those are two of the biggest things, relationships, normalizing them, that you're going to have stressors and that you can work through those conflicts. And then we also have the, the normalizing what, pleasure is and what pleasure means to you when it comes to sex and how can you be comfortable in your body and how can you love your body for what it is? What are the things about your body that you enjoy? Are those things that you like? So I think get out a mirror, ladies. (laughs) Get out the get out the mirror, you know? So there's a lot of things. Dr. Lee, do you think love is enough in a relationship? I do. I do think love is enough, depending on what love means to you. I think love is enough. I think love is so many things. And love reminds me of intimacy. It's very broad. It's what you want it to be. And when you love someone and you feel that love, I think sometimes that's really all you need. If you don't love them and there's disconnect and discontent, then what do you have? So I think love is that magnet that can really lock two people together and they can care about each other. I think when you have love, then you have trust, honesty, communication, and respect, which I always say are the big pillars that hold up your relationship house. When they start to fall, there's no love. The love is broken, right? Totally. Have you ever had clients where you have advised them to walk away from the relationship? Absolutely. Especially if there's... I have. I've had couples. I've told them in person, you need to separate right now, I think. Wow. And they've looked, and sometimes they've looked at me and said, you know what? I think you're right because they go on and they go on and they go on. 
And my job as a therapist is not to fix them. Mm-hmm. I can offer tools. They can do the work. But sometimes separation is good. It's not a nail in the coffin either. And sometimes it is, depending on what's going on. If there's gaslighting, abuse, emotional yeah. abuse, physical abuse, and the person's in danger, absolutely. I've told people to leave. It's an interesting one because often separation can sometimes bring you closer, right? Like, and we don't think that that's a possibility, but with distance, space, time for reflection, then we're like, oh, we actually have a good thing. But also the opposite is true. You can also realize, oh, we're better off without each other. <laughs> yeah. And then people realize that and it takes them a while to get there. Totally. Or they can they can separate and they can reconcile with each other too. Maybe they need yeah. to work on themselves for a while. Maybe true. they both need to, 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 to do other things for themselves. Maybe they both need to do some individual therapy and then they can come back together. I've had couples in therapy that have done that and they're stronger than ever because they took the time to work on themselves, which I think is so important for you to be oh. in a healthy relationship. Oh my God. Preach, Dr. Lee. Honestly, <laughs> that's what I'm all about. <laughs> so let's yes. do a hypothetical together. Mm-hmm. I am 33 years old and I come to you because I haven't met my person yet. There's a guy I've grown up with who has always had a crush on me, who has made it very clear I've always been the one for him, right? He's a good person with a great career and I know he'll be loyal, but I'm not particularly attracted to him, but I am mindful Mm -hmm. my biological clock is ticking. If I ask you, should I settle? What would you say back? I would say don't settle because you may settle and you're not going to be very happy. There's a chance you won't be. Um, That almost to me sounds like an arranged marriage. (laughs) Oh, my biological clock is ticking and I have this person that loves me. So I'm just going to go do it. Well, okay. If that's okay. that So that's a value that you have, Mm. that you want that, but you can also find someone that you are emotionally and attracted to, to where you can have that. Mm. But I can't find them, Dr. Lee. (laughs) But you can, you're not looking hard enough. (laughs) You have to seek out other ways. And, Mm. you know, these days it's all about a dating app, but, you know, I think that there are ways to find that. And I think that's good for you. I think sometimes it's good to stay in the present, but we do have to think about the future. If you marry Mm. someone and you're not very attracted to them, but they meet the neat, your values and you do that, what does that say for the future? Mm-hmm. Now, there could be a spin on it where you grow and you love them and that attraction builds with each other. So there's a lot of different things. Not impossible. But I, I would really, right. I would encourage them to, to not settle. I don't think anyone should settle. I agree. I agree. Okay. So let's do another hypothetical. So I come to you and say, I've met the love of my life. We have been dating a few months now and I know he's the one. He wants to marry me and start a family. The only catch is I want to sleep with other people. And I know if I tell him that he will leave me, but he's the only person I want to be in a relationship with and spend my life with. What do I do? Mm, That's really hard. I think that it's important to have your own integrity and know what you stand for. And if you really feel there's a choice here, you have to make the decision. If you really want to sleep with other people, then you really have to be honest and have the conversation with them. Or you want to sleep with other people, but you choose not to. And you have this relationship. It's almost like when two people come together and one wants to be non-monogamous and the other one doesn't. That can be very hard. And usually I find it doesn't work. 
Mm. Both people have to want it to do it. And so that can be a challenge. Now, it also depends, like in this moment, you know, you want to sleep with other people, but what will happen as you continue to grow together, relationships evolve and they take different shapes. So they're not always the same. They're not, they're not linear. You're not going to go down one road. You're going to go this way, that way, that way. So you may grow with this person and you may not want to sleep with other people. It just depends. And I've seen that happen in relationships. If people open up their relationships, a lot of times it's really hard to close it back up though, wow. because you've gotten a taste of it and you like it and it's hard to close it back up. How interesting. Do you really think that? So most people don't actually want to give up on their relationships. They don't. I think that they enjoy it or they now the other now there can be a time where one partner wants to open it up and truly the other one does not want to, but they do it because they're going to appease their partner. And that's not healthy at all, because then it only leads to more conflict and resentment as well. So both people really have to want it. And if they want to close up their relationship, then they both have to really want that, too, which it can happen if they both want it. Yeah. Um, Now there are people who are monogamous and they'll date a polyamorous person, but they have to be comfortable in their own skin to be monogamous, knowing that their partner may have other partners. Yeah. And if they're fine, if they're okay with it, they're okay with it. It can work if they are secure with their own relationship structure of who they are. Totally. Yeah. That's a level of security that I don't think that I'll ever achieve in this life. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> uh, so I was funny. single for a very long time and I love mm-hmm. dating, but I know a lot of my listeners struggle with it. Why do you think so many people find dating difficult? I think it's just the process of doing it. Yeah. It's the process. It takes courage. You get on these apps, you chat, you share things, you exchange pictures, you know, you may go out, you meet someone at a bar, at a place, you got to get to know them more. You don't know what to expect. It is very rare that you meet someone through a friend these days. It's like, oh, I have this great guy for you. Right. Let's go meet him. That doesn't happen. It's all about apps now. You can write a dissertation on an app. And, you know, when I've looked at those, I see those and I'm like, I have no desire to read all of this right now. And people right. will throw their entire life story out on them. It's a full-time job. It's a full-time job, but it can also be fun. Some people enjoy it. Some people like getting to meet people because if anything, maybe they meet a new friend. That's happened to me. I met it's my happened to me too. Yeah. 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 yeah my it's guy happened to me. I met through Tinder of all apps. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I met I met best friends on Grindr. I love that. I love that. But you're so right. It does take courage. And when I would go and have dinner with my girlfriends who were all married with kids and I was single, I would tell them my dating stories and they would just be like, I admire your courage because you've just got to get back in the saddle every time. I'm, I'm happy that you say that because I have a lot of women in therapy and I tell them that. They're like, I want to find a nice man. I'm like, okay, sweetie, well, the clock is ticking. You need to put yourself out there. Right. Yeah. Get on an app. Go out. Go out with a girlfriend. Get all dressed up. Look nice. Go out. Sit at a bar with her. Talk. Flirt. 
you have to put yourself out there if you want to meet someone. It's not going to come to you. A hundred percent. And you have to mix up your life. Like I only met my partner at a co-working space, but I was on the apps for nine years, you know? Yeah, so it's yeah. like, if you don't put yourself in different environments or you're just sitting at home on a Saturday night with a face mask on with a tub of ice cream, you're not going to meet your partner. Let's be real. You're, you're not. You're, you're not going to. You want to, and there's that desire, but you have to put the work in to do it. A hundred percent. It's like you're saying, I want to be a millionaire, but not going to work. <laughs> it's like, exactly. Step in line. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you, what advice do you have for women struggling with their single status or the fact that they're newly separated or divorced? I think if they're struggling, I think it's important, like what we were just talking about to find a support system that you can connect with. Yeah. I think it's important to go out with friends. I think it's important to keep living your life despite that you haven't met the person that you want to be with. I think it's critical to like find different ways to date, make it creative. Some people do the speed dating. Some people do the app. Some people will just go out to an event. People can meet organically still. I mean, you can go somewhere and catch someone's eye and you start talking. It does happen. So I think it's important to have confidence in yourself knowing that you can have that. I think it all comes from building up your own self-esteem. And when you can do that, then you're going to go out there and you can meet people. And then you're going to be selective and be selective who you want to meet. I always say, people say, oh, don't have expectations. I'm like, have expectations. Whatever you want in a partner, go after it. If you've got your checklist of what he needs to, to have, that's your checklist. That's okay. The amount of times people were like, you have to lower your expectations and your standards. And I was like, absolutely not. But where I think singles go wrong is that they they approach the first date with their list of criteria and they scare people off. It's like, no, no, have it in your head. <laughs> but that's hilarious. I'm that. just I'm I'm literally just picture, picturing a woman at a restaurant. She pulls out a list and she goes, <laughs> Okay, this is what I want. I want to know how much you make. Are you a family man? How tall are, are you? <laughs> how tall are you? What's your religion? Um, how many kids do you want? <laughs> how many kids do you want? Where do you want to live? What city do you want to live in? Do you want to live in the country? Do you want to live in the city? I mean, I, I would run. I would. I would run too. Yeah. I would. I would literally get up from the table and run. I think a hundred percent. And that happened to me. Guys would sit me down the first date and be like, "I want two kids in the next five years." And I'm like, "Hi, I'm Nicole. Nice to meet you." <laughs> I'm not a baby factory. Sorry, what? <laughs> Yes. Right. And I'm always like, go women when a man yeah. tells them that. It's like, okay, you have your own values. And if someone tells you that and yeah. you don't share those same values, then you're not a match. The worst was when they were like, I want two kids in the next five years and my wife won't work. And I'm like, mm -hmm. Hi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. not me. <laughs> Should we end it here? <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, those are the things that really have to happen. You have to know what your values are. Totally. So Dr. Lee, do you believe in the concept of happily ever after? Absolutely. I do. I think that if you meet the person that you love and you bond together and you're, you're right for each other and you support each other and you love each other, absolutely. You can make anything work. I do believe in that. Love that. So what mm -hmm. is one piece of advice when it comes to love and relationships? I think it's important to know yourself. Know yourself before you put yourself out there. Know what it is that you want in a partner. Know what brings you pleasure because 
if you know that, you will be successful in meeting someone. If you don't know that, you're going to struggle with that. So you have to know what it is that you want. And when you know what you want, you can have anything that you want. Oh my God, I love that. That's some of the best advice I've ever heard. And I talk to people all day. (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Lee. What is next for you and where can we find you? So I just opened my office in the Hamptons, my third location. So I'm doing a lot of that. I'm doing a lot of media work, um, media outlets. I've got my own podcast, which is a sex and chronic illness with Dr. Lee. So I'm doing a lot of that work right now. I'm hoping to get more involved in the media, whether that is print or quotes, more of that, or television. I love I love TV. I think it's great. I'd love to have my own TV show one day. I, I could say I just, that for you. I yeah. love it for you. I say that. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I, I love the media. I love being out there and talking about relationships and healthy relationships and healthy sex and how we all deserve pleasure. That's really, I feel like what my goal is in life right now. And you have to come to Australia, of course. I am. I'm going to. I have to come. I have to come to Australia. I'm always on my, it's a bucket list. I have to go. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into How to Get Creative with Your Sax with Dr. Lee. I hope you enjoyed this juicy and insightful episode as much as I did. Your feedback really is the lifeblood of this podcast. So if you have any burning questions or suggestions for future episodes, please hit me up. Don't forget to leave a review or shoot me a DM on Instagram at love.uncensored.podcast or join our exclusive Facebook group where you can connect with other like-minded people keen to navigate life, love and relationships on their own terms and without judgment. In appreciation of your support, I'll give a massive shout out to all the reviewers at the start of each episode. Plus, I'll even send you a little something special to show you my love and appreciation. Remember, my goal is to create a community where love and relationships are discussed openly and honestly. So if you're ready to explore the world of love and relationships, hit that subscribe button and share this podcast with everyone you know. Let's spread the love.